Devotion, talking about how to read the Bible devotionally. So this is our third of four weeks. And just as a recap, um, we, do you, sorry, to, sorry, Mr. Shore's seeing something out. Would you mind joining one of the table groups? I did. I already bossed a couple other people around. It's not just you. Um, so the first week that I was here, we talked about um, how to talk about the story of the Bible with someone. So if someone just stopped you, if a kid from the youth group or the server at your restaurant, somebody said, hey, what's the big deal about the Bible? If you just had that glimpse of time, what would you do? And how would you talk through it? And then last week, we started to make the shift of looking at the Bible devotionally. How can we use it? Make sure we're connecting our head and our heart when it comes to Scripture. Um, I think we have a habit of, I think, I, I think it's okay since I was in this church for so long to say, I think we could tend to keep our head knowledge of the Bible in this class up here and remember that we have to connect it because Scripture talks about our will being the center of our being. It talks about your heart or your gut, actually. Um, and so we just want to make sure we are keeping our head and heart connected. So I'm so glad that we got to do this class together. Because we want to talk about the Bible as a book through which we can develop habits of spiritual growth centered on Scripture. So last week, in order to do that, we practiced something called Lexio Divina, which means divine reading of the scripture. We, we practice it just for a very short time in class. And then this week, what we're going to do is we're going to, I have you in table groups, we're going to learn how to study a passage of the Bible devotionally. So some of you may have already know how to do this, but if you were to read a passage of scripture, how would you know how to dig it out? What's really in there? And when you learn how to do this, your critique of sermons is going to skyrocket. So, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm not kidding. Um, when you, because when you learn to see what's there in the scripture, it's going to highlight your understanding of the creator and the love letter that he's written to you in the form of the Bible. Okay, so we're going to learn how to do that today with some resources that I just grabbed from your library, and I promised to put them back right where I found them because I didn't check them out. Um, and Pastor Michael had gotten, I saw the books he had already pulled for us because I went to grab them and they were gone. So we'll talk about those books. I don't know where they are. I know he's on Baby Watch. So, so let's pray before we start to dig into Scripture together. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you were present here before we even got here today. You're present with us. And you're present as we leave here today. Um, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us in understanding your word. Um, that we can see it for what it is and what you intend for it to be in each of our lives. Pray in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, you had homework. And I just wonder if you were able to do it. Oh, I'd like to know if you didn't do it why you made that choice. <laughs> and Because we're trying to get at motivations, right? We're trying to get at motivations for reading the scripture or not. So if you feel comfortable, this is a no-judgment zone. I don't know anything about Rich, but right here, this is a no-judgment zone. Um, and No, I know. He might be headed that way. You never know. Um, so if you didn't set aside time, 
that is okay if you'd be willing to speak to what what is hard about that. If you did try it, how did it go? It could be an utter failure, and that's fine as long as you tried it. And do we have a micro? Would you mind doing the microphone for today? Sorry, you have to be on on record. Go ahead, Donna. Yeah, um, yeah. I've tried it before, mm -hmm. and we've done it in Bible study. Now, but I really have a hard time reading the Bible that way. I I do better if I I mean I read it a couple times, but to do it this way, I just really have a rough time. Okay. And it doesn't seem like it sticks with me. Okay. And do you know what that? So we have, we've talked in classes the last two weeks about how we all have different learning styles. And so that may be a learning style that doesn't work well for you. Mm -hmm. um, and that's fine. So ho hopefully we'll get some other ways that you can study scripture that will click with you. Hmm? Who else? I did. And true to form, I picked a psalm. Okay. Um, and true to form, it came... Not during my actual time, um, but in the next day. It came later, mm -hmm. uh, but it did come to me, and, and I, I think it worked. I mean, I think it was helpful. Mm -hmm. You talked last week how you kind of mull things over, yeah, but that's kind sort of, of a, you chew on them a long yeah, time. Okay. Kind of a teapot. I'm a slow learner. Oh. That's more likely. You're a well-developed learner. We'll say that. Who else? Anyhow, you can put yourself into it. Okay. Mm hmm. Good. Anybody who didn't get a chance to do it, would you be willing to say why? I lost my piece of paper till this morning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you are a visual learner, you've said, so having that piece of paper is important because you said you're, you're a visual learner, you need to see it. So that's fine. All right. Thank you for being honest. All right. So today, whoops. Come on. I'm aiming it right at Rich. Oh, there we go. One more, if you would, please. Today, I would like to talk to you first about how the Holy Spirit is engaged with us when we are working on our spiritual disciplines. So last week, we talked about how there is this natural process that comes with spiritual practices, desire, discipline, transformation. So we start with a, a desire. So I'm assuming that you desire to know a little bit more about, how the Bible, with, about the Bible and how to engage with it. That's why you're in this class, or someone made you come, one of those two things. Um, so you have this desire, and so you start to discipline yourself to try to practice Lexio Divina, or just reading, or maybe memorizing a passage of Scripture, or mulling over it. So desire, discipline, 
And then as you have that discipline, transformation starts to happen. And so I, I, I want to make sure you understand that the Holy Spirit has a role in our spiritual disciplines. Um, it's, it's important to realize that God's Spirit brings about the transformation and not the spiritual practices themselves. Okay? Um, it's a bit like gardening. I think a lot of things are like gardening because I'm a gardener, and for some reason that just really works for me as a metaphor. I love to flower garden. I have a lot of perennial flower gardens. So my role, my role when I go outside is to, is to maintain because they're perennials, so they come up every year. So I prune, I weed, I water, I fertilize. But do these actions in themselves make my flowers grow? I think God is the one who designed the flowers to take in the water in such a way that the very cell structure changes into a fuller, healthier plant. So when I water and I pr- oh, so when there's water and there's sun and the nutrient-rich soil, those are the three magic things that need to happen for a healthy plant to grow. That's not my doing. I am maintaining, pruning, watering, fertilizing. So I follow the practices of being a good gardener, but it's only in harmony with the creator who designed the plants. That's where growth is actually generated. So do you see the distinction between the roles? I'm just the maintainer. I'm the gardener. I'm the gardener. I'm the Genesis 1, 28, you know, uh, be in the garden and, and bring it to flourishing, that kind of cultural mandate. But God is the one that provides the growth. So in the same way, we can follow practices to grow spiritually. We can pray, we can serve, we can read God's word. But it's in harmony with the creator who designed us and who generates our growth. God transforms us by his spirit that he has promised lives inside of us. Um, I recommended a book to you a couple weeks ago, The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook by Adele Calhoun, and here's a couple of things that she says. Without the work of God's spirit within, spiritual practices guarantee nothing. Disciplines, spiritual disciplines, done for the wrong reasons actually sabotage transformation and numb us toward God and the truth. And she says, spiritual practices simply put us in a place where we can begin to notice God and respond to his word to us. So remember, when we're doing spiritual practices, we're engaging in a relationship with God the Father. And if we are a Christ follower, Jesus promises in the Gospel of John that his spirit resides in us. And so it's this relationship, it's this dialogue that we're in for spiritual practices. If we could change ourselves by practicing spiritual disciplines, we would have no need for the gospel. We would have no need for Jesus. We are in harmony and in partnership with the God who offers the grace. We're simply striving to know him more and responding to him, and he changes us. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So what I would like to do today... um, is help you understand how to practice spiritual disciplines. I don't think it's working. Thank you. Um, Go back one, please. There you go. How to study a scripture passage um, and do a very simple study. You can do this very simply, or you could dig in for a week and do it, you know, dig in through a passage of scripture, really sort of wring out everything that's in that. 
But for a simple scripture study, you could just sit down in your daily devotions for 20 minutes and do this. So I'm going to teach you how to do it. It's called SOYA, um, and that stands for four steps. And I'm going to, there's a four steps. So there's a pink handout. Some of you have two pink handouts. It's the shorter one. And let me just tell you, there's a lot of words on this page. So if that's overwhelming to you, just turn this paper over and don't worry about it because I'm going to go through the steps with you. If you like to read and follow along, um, and if you're a visual learner, you might want to follow along and take notes. But again, if this is too, many, too much work, I don't want you to be overwhelmed by this, okay? So you can do what you want with that piece of paper. So there's four steps called survey, observation, interpretation, and application. And um, we are going to do those together. I'm going to walk you right through it. It's going to be easy. Um, The other handout, some of you, it's pink. Some of you, it's blue. It's longer. That's the scripture passage we're going to be studying. And I encourage you to take notes. Rich, are there pens anywhere? Um, Thank you. I encourage you to take notes. And I'll give you... Here, this is that longer passage if anybody needs it. Does everybody have one of these longer sheets of paper? So the steps of studying are on the short piece of paper. And again, you can turn that over, and I'm just going to talk you through it if that's too overwhelming. The longer page is what we're going to study. All right? So before we do that, I wonder if someone would please read our scripture passage for today into the microphone. It's John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. And I'm not going to give you the setting at all. I'm not going to give you anything about this passage because that's what we're going to discover on our own. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, does anyone have a a Bible that has cheater notes at the bottom? Study notes. Rosie, does your Bible have that? Because it's a bigger Bible. Okay. All right. Yeah, okay. So, um, Rich, would you go to that next step? The The survey step is... Looking over the passage with a, the very biggest themes we can think of, all right? So when we look at the Gospel of John in John chapter 15, we would look for the author, the occasion on which it's written, what, what, what's the setting, the audience, time period, who's speaking, um, is there a genre? Well, it's a gospel, that's the genre, okay? So have you ever been, um, this step is sort of like tasting, we're just tasting the passage, Another idea of way to think of surveys, if you've ever been along the side of a road and you see a survey crew with the tripod, the high, you know, tripod, and they're kind of looking through and they're surveying the road, they're looking from a very long distance, just an overview. So that's what this step is, okay? And so um, I'm going to, ha- sometimes when you do survey, observation, interpretation, application, the steps blend together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear those steps apart for you today. So I'm going to keep you just on the broad themes. So looking at this passage, so maybe looking at your Bible, um, there I, on each table there is how to read the Bible book by book. You can look at what I have marked as the Gospel of John. Um, if you need uh, other things, the books that Pastor Michael <laughs> took, <laughs> um, the commentaries, you might uh, have, there might be commentaries, When you have a study Bible, at the beginning of each passage or each book, there's a setting, a paragraph that says, this is who wrote this book. It was probably written in this time period. Here are the themes to look for. All right? So what I would like for you to do is um, maybe take your how to read the Bible book by book. I'm going to, does anybody at that back table have a study Bible with notes at the bottom? All right. Okay, so what I would like you to do is confer at your tables and go through steps, the survey step, and see what you can figure out together. All right, so I'm going to give this table my study Bible. That's the page you want. Here's this how to read the Bible book by book. I'm going to get you a study Bible real quick, and then you use your how to read the book by book. And so at each table, could you go through just that survey step and see what you can figure out about this passage? I'll be right back.
<laughs> okay, well, let's go over it together. So survey, what did you find out about any of the items that are up on that screen? Author, themes, occasion. This might be tricky to record. I apologize. We're going to be popcorning here. Go ahead. What did you find out? John writing about Jesus in the upper room talking to the disciples. That's great. That's the overview. That's the overview. John wrote the gospel. The setting is the upper room. What do we know about what happens about that conversation in the upper room? It wasn't recorded. It wasn't recorded. It was a, actually a commissioning. Yeah, it was a commissioning. Because what happened the night of the upper room is Judas betrayed Jesus. So this is Jesus' last words. He has washed their feet. He has shared the bread and cup with them. And he's really saying, I need you to know this because he knows he's going to be betrayed. So he's saying, what would you say to people if you knew, I'm, I'm leaving you today. What would be the last things that you would say to people? This is among what Jesus said, okay? That's the setting. When you're talking to a little child and you, and you say, now look at me, I'm telling you something, and I'm not going to repeat it. This is it. That's right. The big moment. And what we know from the disciples is that when Jesus would talk about, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come back, the temple's going to be destroyed, but we rebuilt, they were like, huh? Right now, we know from the benefit of hindsight, Jesus meant I'm going to be um, killed and I'm going to resurrect. But at that point, they were like, what? No time to come back with questions. And I mean, this is. So there's an urgency, probably. Yeah. Everything is laden with meaning, what he's saying. Something that I found was that the first 12 chapters of the book of John covered the three years of Jesus' life and ministry. But chapters 13 through 18 cover one night, the last night of Jesus' life. Okay? So this is in that one night. Anything else that you found out about that survey step? We have in no particular order, points. I'm not sure how many of them are just survey, but this was a departure from the synoptics. It was written um, with focus on, on the Greeks. The purpose, or the point was to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Part of the style included um, using the creation story and the seven days and the seven perfects with the seven IMs and the seven signs of Jesus' power. Mm -hmm. Good. So can you explain synoptic? Why is John different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Well, the, the thought is, is that he would um, put a different uh, spin on it, a different look on it, a different feel on it. Um, and whether that was to back up or to add to, I don't know that we know, or if it's that obvious. Okay, so John is just a little different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called the synoptic, S-Y-N-O-P-T-I-C. They, they are, um, what S-Y-N mean, unified, and with. then optic, unified in their vision with, okay, so they have the same ideas. John is a little different. John is called the, Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He, he always names himself that way. He never calls himself John in the book. And as you said, this book is written to Gentiles, not Jewish audience, Gentiles. 
So they're bringing in um, Jesus. They're trying to explain the way who this Jesus is to not the people group that the Old Testament is all about, the Jewish people. They're talking about the Gentiles. So he just is writing it in a different way. And you're absolutely right. The purpose of the book is John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, which says that you may, the purpose is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is an evangelistic book, okay? So that's great. You did the survey step. What did you have to use to do the survey step? You used your study Bible, okay? And maybe how to read the Bible for all sorts, or book by book? Book by book. All right, so my encouragement to you is if you don't have a study Bible at home, I'm sure, and if you need one, I'm sure the church will get you one. I'm just volunteering that. <laughs> if you would like to get one, Lifeway Christian Store is going out of business on 30th Street. Oh, you could get some good deals. Um, but I would get yourself a study book because um, people of God who have gone before us have studied the scripture and really wrung out the meaning and then put those in notes for you. So I would really encourage that even this week just to make that investment. And again, if that investment's difficult, just ask one of the pastors, they'll get you a Bible. Okay, to the next slide. We're going to go to the step called observation. Now, before you read this, observation and interpretation, the two steps, they kind of blend together. I'm separating them out for you. So I'm going to ask you to look at the who, what, when, where, and not the why yet, okay? Who, what, when, where. When we study scripture, we, there are all kind of great resources like commentaries and Bible encyclopedias. The number one thing I want you to hear from me today, after get yourself a study Bible, the number two thing I want you to hear from me today is use your own eyes first. These great people have studied the scripture but you should use your own eyes first when you're studying something. Look and see what you can find, patterns, because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you when you're reading his word. And so that's great that all these men and women have gone before to study the scripture and made notes. They are helpful, but you need to leave room for the Spirit to speak to you as you're reading it, okay? So follow these steps, who, what, when, where, but not the why. Um, and look in this passage, and if that passage is too long, just take the first chunk of it. Um, look for repetition. Look for descriptive words. Look for if this is happening, then this is happening statements. Um, if we had more time, we would get out a different translation, like the message. I know that the pastors from the front, I've heard them in the past say, this is the message. It's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. But different ways that you can understand the passage you had more time, you could compare. You might do a word study, which we'll do in just a second. I'll guide you through that. So right now, why don't you take maybe just a chunk, first half, second half of that, and look for repetition, descriptive words, if-then statements with your own eyes. Feel free to mark on that paper and talk to each other about it. for both tables, finding repetitions. What are the repetitions that you found? Go ahead. Okay. Others? That's a, no, that's okay. Well, you can count them up if you want to do that. Remain? 
What else? I heard one at this table. One of the main themes of this gospel is also in that passage, the I am statements. I am. How about if-then statements? Did we find any, if this happens, then this will happen in those first eight verses? Okay. What does it, what's the if-then? Okay. What are the statements? If what happens, then this happens. Great. Good job. Any other observations sticking with the who, what, when, where, not yet going to the why? What do you see on the page? Anything? Well, the theme is that you, that you need to remain in me. Okay. You need to focus on me. You okay. need to follow me. So and that's the theme. will be different. Your life will be fruitful. Okay, good. And again, if we connect that with what we learned about the overall context of this conversation, Jesus with his disciples, he is saying, even though I'm going to go away, you are to remain. And right around this this chapter is when Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to promise you the Holy Spirit, which they didn't understand yet. But so he's saying, remain in me, and later when he promises, or earlier, when he promises the Holy Spirit, that's how we can remain, is with the Holy Spirit's assistance. Okay. And his words. And his words. Okay. All right. So now, I think some of you were itching to move to the why. So actually, hold on just a second. I think I'm going to shift gears because you are pulling out so much um, I'm going to just sit on this, and we're going to come also do this a little bit next week, okay? So I, I'm not, I don't want to rush through the steps today, because I think that, I think this is good. So let me tell you something a little, a lot nerdy <clears throat> about this passage. Remember, I promised you that you're going to be wizards in Greek and Hebrew by the time we're done today? All right, this is how it happens. This is... If your eyes want to gloss over for the next two minutes that I'm talking, it's okay. If you want to learn, <laughs> if you want to understand <laughs> um, how you can look at a, ver- a word and see what does that mean in the Greek, then this is how you do it. It's really easy. Okay, Rich, can we do the next slide? Who has access to the internet? Computer, on your phone? Okay, so if you did, that is a website at the top. Biblehub.com, interlinear. And interlinear says, hey, this is the English. This is the Greek, which is the New Testament. This is the Hebrew, which is the Old Testament. How do they work together? So if you were really, if we were going to look at one of those words, let's say we wanted to look at the word he prunes in verse 2. Okay, We would simply type in that little box, John chapter 15, verse 2. Next slide, please. And what it would do, oh, I know, this could be overwhelming. Don't let it be overwhelming. We see in the brownish color, 
the verse, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes, and everyone, blah, 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 he prunes so that it will bear more fruit. Now, the, you know, it's not quite reading like English, like we would say it in English, because it's in Greek. So that's what our English words are. The black lettering is Greek. I have a little ditty on the Greek alphabet if you ever want to know. Um, this is super easy because if you pulled this up on your phone or on your computer, that would appear. All you would have to do is click on, he prunes, that brown letter, he prunes. And it's going to tell you if you just hover over it on your computer with your cursor or if you click on it on your phone, it's going to say, this is what that word means in Greek. Is this making sense? Okay, it's like a Bible dictionary. If you go to the next slide, so if we click on it, we get this little box, and it says, well, he prunes. If you look in the top left, it means to cleanse. What? Not just prune, like the garden. It means to cleanse. It's a verb. If you want to know how to say it, phonetic spelling, cathario, cathario. Um, and then underneath word studies, it's saying it makes it clean by purging. It eliminates what's fruitless by purifying it. Sounds a little more harsh when you say it that way. We had that nice little garden metaphor. Sounds a little harsh. So um, that's how you could understand a word in Greek. So if we had that word remain, that repeated, and I told you that well, in some translations, it says abide. You might want to say, well, why is that different? You just go to this website, click on the word, and it would kind of tell you, well, this is what it means. So if you come across something that you don't understand, you don't have to be stuck. You can just go to this website and say, I really want to know what does this mean in the original language, and you can click on it. If you go to the next slide, please. Um, If you look under that search box, there are brown words that say parallel, sermons, topical, strongs, common. Okay, so if you really wanted to have help, all of the books in, your, in the library, dictionaries, commentaries, concordances, all these things. If you wanted to know previous sermons that people wrote on the word prune, it's all right there. You just have to click on it. So you could click on sermons, and say, well, how has somebody else interpreted this passage? I would like to read what they have. You can click on the word comment, which stands for commentary, and that's people who have studied this passage and they've dug out of it all they can. Um, you could look at the word parallel, and that will help you, like, here I'm going to have parallel passages of Scripture, maybe in the New International Version, in the King James Version. What do they have in the pews? RSV, Revised Standard Version, so you could see how do they interpret it differently. All of this is getting into like deeper, deeper, deeper. But if you're curious, you don't have to be stopped. All you have to do is go to this easy website. Now, if you don't have web access, it's fine. You go to books like a dictionary or a commentary, and it's all in there too. 
But I just want you to understand that these, these resources, the things that the pastors do or your Bible study leaders do to tell you all kind of good things about a word or a passage of scripture, you can do that. Okay? So um, the last thing we're going to do, just for the last few minutes, if you wouldn't mind, is start, we're going to just start this interpretation step. Now you get to ask why. All right? Why is this image or phrase used? Why is it repetitive? Is it used somewhere else in the Bible? What does what do what one of those um, repeated words mean? So go in there because I know you're itching. I heard some of you start on the why questions. And ask why and just talk about it. And there's no wrong answer because you're just asking why. Okay. To remain in God's love. So what's the why? Oh, that's the why? Yeah. Okay, so abiding in order to remain in his love. Okay. And so that you can be complete. What verse is that in? Okay. What other why questions? I think, see again, it's the answer. This seven, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Mm -hmm. Like when you ask, why didn't God answer my prayer? You know, does it mean... I don't know. Does it mean you aren't in him? Okay. And what does it say after that? Because sometimes we can look at that and think, well, God is just a big Santa Claus. I can ask whatever I want and I'll get it. What's the next verse say? This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Okay. So it's asking you, ask for what you want. You'll get it if... What? You're remaining in me. If you're remaining in me, so that what happens? Then you'll bear fruit. Then you'll bear fruit and the Father will receive glory. Okay? Right. So it's like a trail. Yeah. If you do this, then this will happen so that this will happen. What other what other why questions do you have? You know, he knew he was leaving and he wanted his disciples to continue his work, spread the message of love. Okay, so he, so you're giving a sense of context. Like, this is what I want you to do. This is why I'm telling you this. Okay? They wanted, he wanted, Jesus wanted his disciples, like, study the course. Remember, I'm not going to be in front of you, but this is how you need to remain on me for the Father's glory, verse 8, verse 8, when I'm gone. Any other, any other questions or observations you can pull out of this passage. There it is. So that's sort of you're saying the summary of the passage seems to be that verse. Or is that what you were saying? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Other interpretations of this passage. I don't know why, but whenever I read it, the word friends always seems so late in a relationship to me. So late? Light. Light. It's like love light. You know what I mean? It's like my wife's my friend, but 
No, it's more, you know? And I expect my relationship to Jesus to sound more than, oh, she's my friend. Okay. I friended her on Facebook. I, I just feel like sometimes that word is just light. Well, then what, why is it used in this passage? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Why is the word friend used in this passage? Anybody have some ideas? Is it involved with an if-then statement that kind of gives you a clue in that verse? Is it a, is a contrast, I think, to a slave, right? It is. It, it's a contrast, and I get the contrast. <clears throat> But on its own. You have access to the internet. I know you do. <laughs> yeah. I Interlinear. Will. Yeah. Study the Greek. Yeah, Click on friend and see what it says. Okay. And bring it back, okay? Yep. Okay. Because why? Why does God say that? You are no longer a slave. That's what the model of having a lowercase g God was like in that culture. If you had a lowercase g God, you had to do something for that God in order for that God to do something for you. Jesus is saying, nope, this is a different model. Why? So go find out. All right, so this is going to be a cliffhanger. (laughs) Because I want you to really get this. And let me just tell you, friends, that when when I was praying about what passage that we should study the word abide instantly came to mind. So there's something here for you guys. So that's why we're not going to rush through it. We're actually going to come back to this paper next week. Even as I'm saying it, I know this is what we're supposed to do. So we're going to come back to this next week and probably look at that second half. Because there's something in here that you need to know individually as a church. Here's what I would like you to do. Here's your homework. You ready? Take that pat, take this passage home, stick with those first eight verses, and do the last step. One more slide, and then I'll let you go. I know we're late. Application. What do I do with this? We've looked at all the what's and the so what's. I want you to ask yourself, now what? With those first eight verses. Application. This is where you're grabbing all of that, what we've figured out, and saying, what does that have to do with me? Okay, so that can be your homework. Maybe you can just mull it over, read it over every day this week and figure that out. And we'll come back next week. We'll talk about now what? We'll talk about friend and what that has to do. And we're going to stick with this next week, okay? Uh, I'll pray to close. God, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you promised your disciples and us that you love us so much that if we remain in you, you will remain in us. What a gift. What a gift that is. We thank you for it. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll see you next week.